With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance for WDD, yeah! It's comments! It is, once again, the hope that kills you. Yes, welcome along to Steve Bloomers Washing, your independent Derby County podcast, where we are glass half full once again after another nervy, committed, chaotic home win, which keeps that relegation trapdoor shut just about for another week. The Groundhog Day-esque cycle of anger, demand for answers, increasingly frustrating statements... Rumour and counter-rumour has rolled around again for another fortnight, but Rooney and the boys are keeping that dream alive, even if the off-field events continue to be a complete and utter nightmare. Uh, joining me, Chris Parsons, it's back to basics this week, boys. The the OG lineup. Mm. Tom and Kutch here. How are you both been, lads? Yeah, good. Long time. I feel like I don't think I've been on the pod for five weeks. I'm not sure how listeners have coped without me. You said glass half full at the start. It's a little bit half full tonight. Currently, though, my glass, in terms of beer glass, is half empty. Have we all had COVID since we last did a podcast together? No, I had it on I had it Christmas. I have podded since Christmas. All right, trailblazer. Look at me. I had COVID first. <laughs> it's not a competition. We've all had it. We all dealt with it. We all got over it. Well I done. was... Uh, I came in negative about five hours ago, which was handy. Yeah. Um, Welcome. So, <laughs> so that's good. Um, Tom, how you been, man? Uh, yeah, very good. Uh, back from my trip to Derby this weekend to see my grandma and obviously the mighty Rams in there and uh, a nice trip to... Uh, the tap for a, a very swift beer and then on to other establishments on the way to the ground so yeah very good weekend now you all know by now that uh, steve bloomers washing is partnered with our friends over at derby brewing company derby's original craft brewer so uh, do give them a follow on social or visit one of their pubs in derby but derby county one preston north end nil uh, tommy you were there a 10th home league win of the season, settled by a uh, Ravel, Ravel Morrison strike with 10 minutes to go. Bit of an odd game, really, but it, I guess it keeps that fire burning for, for another week. Six games to go, I think. Six points adrift, I think, with Reading playing uh, playing midweek as well. So, I don't know. This time in a week, it could be three, could be nine, could be somewhere in between. But in terms of the here and now and, and the game that you watched at Pride Park, where we good value for that win I think I mean the key stat for me was that Preston's keeper uh, Daniel Iverson made 12 saves for Preston in their uh, 1-0 defeat at Pride Park a record in a championship match this season which suggests that we deserved it yeah I think we were the better team uh, even before they went down to 10 men Uh, we looked like the more likely and the more had a bit more intent they had a couple of half chances with some good cross into the box from the left wing Um, but they, as they went down to 10 men, we then controlled the ball and controlled the game. 
then when it went 10 against 10 I thought we were excellent we really responded well to that setback and actually I think it, it probably benefited us because it opened Preston up because they came out and attacked us and we took advantage of the space I thought Belix passing was absolutely sublime in that last half hour and I thought obviously Morrison was fantastic with uh, with his finish and also with his general creative play um, and I also personally I thought Nathan Burma's man of the match I thought he was outstanding down the right wing uh, always getting round uh, Ebioe uh, who had a good game, good first 60 minutes, uh, looking dangerous. So, yeah, well worth the, well worth the uh, three points, I think. Everson made a couple of good saves, but a lot of them were fa- fairly straightforward. I would say the the best sort of bank of saves were probably in the, the, the pre- <coughs> prelude to the goal. But, um, but, yeah, definitely a good performance and a, a very solid one at the back, I thought. Coach, I don't know if it's just because we've got like more camera people who are better at recording these moments, <laughs> but there do seem to have... It's just another one to the... A long list of fantastic Pride Park moments this season. Well, yeah, we were talking just before we came on air about there's been some great moments at Pride Park. It's the most I've been to Pride Park in, in a season for a long, long time as we've kind of prioritised away games over the years. But um, there's been some great moments there. Obviously, the Louis Sibley against Peterborough, Christian Bielik against Burnham City. Um, obviously, the Tom Lawrence brace against Sheffield United. And, and then again, a relatively late goal by Ravel Morrison and, and a fantastic goal from Ravel Morrison against uh, Preston North End on Saturday. And, and yeah, I think you're right. Rams TV have done a good job and the club have done a good job of putting some uh, strategically placed uh, cameras uh, in the south stand, looking out at the goal and looking also c- cameras looking at the south stand because the south stand has turned into such an amazing... Uh, party atmosphere and 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 you were you weren't in it but you were kind of above it weren't you on on Saturday Tom and it's amazing either being in it or being next to South Sand because the noise it generates from those so many last minute winners or equalizers this season which every one of those moments feels huge because of the the situation we're in yeah Tom before the game there had been a bit of talk of uh, of unrest from supporters people voicing their displeasure whether that's um, at Quantuma or or the senior leadership at the club or just the general situation but it seems from what you're telling us you didn't really see any of that at the weekend not that this is anyone's not that we're really calling anyone out for this but it just seemed that the positivity took over really yeah I think on on the way to the ground it did seem a bit flat and it seemed that Derby Derby fans were a little bit subdued because obviously the the results and the recent pickup for Reading and Barnsley have, have made the situation a lot more challenging on the pitch um I got to the ground about sort of 10 to between quarter past and 10 to 3 and didn't there wasn't by by which time any protests had dispersed. I saw a few photographs like later on on social media. Um, and the first sort of five ten minutes, the the atmosphere was a, a little bit quiet. I would say by comparison, but it really kicked off in the second half. I think um, the Preston fans started uh, saying bounce around if you're going down or something like that. And the Derby fans responded with uh, what the uh, effing hell is that? And then showed them how to bounce properly in the south stand. Which, as you said, cuts like looking at the south stand from the uh, southwest corner, it looks incredible and it's it's great being in the middle of it. But it was also great to feel that's what the South Stand doing we're following that and it, then it goes right the way around the ground and the atmosphere I thought really picked up in the second half um, but yeah as you say Chris I didn't see too much on the protest side and I think people are just frustrated about the off, off pitch but when you're watching the game you've got to get behind the team and that's what exactly what the Derby fans did and I think they did that in the right way on Saturday Bounce around if you're going down. That's that's quite clever, actually. I'm giving giving credit for that. It's, uh, it's nicer than having a party when Derby County die. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to take taunts about Derby County getting relegated. We, we do the same to almost any other club when you're when you're playing against them. Uh, yeah, fair enough. I mean, Preston obviously have had a pretty up and down season, haven't they? I don't think they've been doing well for for a while now. Um, but look, Derby. They're giving themselves a chance. We, we've said since the very beginning of the season almost, and Tom said this a few times, you know, if we're within three or four points with two games to go, 
I think you'd 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 have taken that three four months ago, and we'd, you'd probably snap your hand off for it right now as well. The goal then, um, Ravel Morrison's magnificent scissor kick, ten minutes from time, just uh, just one of the most chaotic and beautiful goals we've we've scored this season. I mean, easily a, a solid eight point five on on the goal mouse scramble index. I thought, <laughs> which is an index I've invented, but I've had to watch it about 15 times from several different angles to work out what actually happens wanted to but is, is it but but going from Lawrence's corner six players go for the same header that is mental for a mm. start Davis wins it of course he does the keeper saves it the rebound's deflected to Plange his shot saved that rebound is poked towards the Preston player who tries to clear it it dinks out the penalty box it bounces off Plange's chest <laughs> but then Ravel Morrison enters the group chat what he does next just did not belong anywhere near that sequence of events well, did it Bielik was about to put it into the velodrome so yeah. it's a good job that he listened to the call from <laughs> Morrison and instead of being a Bielik bicycle as it was against Birmingham I miss Kutch being there going Ravel scissor kick Ravel scissor kick and it was a, an incredible goal and a, a great moment um, I was there with my girlfriend on Saturday and she got her glasses uh, took her glasses off her head and was like I'm going to give them a lucky rub before this corner I looked at her I was like what are you doing and then when the <laughs> corner ensued you're like how have we not possibly scored there and then suddenly Morrison thwacks it in with his scissor kick I mean, and there it is the lucky rub of the, uh, of the glasses I mean as you say Chris it, like, it doesn't belong does it because it's just it's so rare that those um, goal mouth scrambles end of a piece of quality it's normally literally bundled over the line and it couldn't have been you know much more quality and the technique and there's a, there's one particularly great um angle that derby that ram tv have kind of put out there from their cameraman and they actually slow it down as he as he kind of scissors his scissors his legs to to strike it and it, it is amazing technique and i think that's when ravel's at his best actually is when it's instinctive like he's such a skillful technical player it's, it's all in there i think sometimes when he has a bit more too much time to think about it he sometimes ties himself up in knots a bit when he's deeper but when he's in and around the penalty box you know that if he just hits it there's a good chance he's going to hit it true and, and he couldn't have hit it any truer. But it's it's, it's not just the technique, it's like the... It's, it's the ingenuity as well because if you look at where the ball is, it's quite easy for us to say, like, watching it back 14,000 times. But, like, if he waits for that ball to drop, it, it gets blocked. If he tries to take it side on, he kicks the Preston player probably. So the scissor kick is what he sort of has to do to 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 get a good contact in that in that position but what I think about Ravel Morrison is that we've seen all sides of him really this season Kutch you've said in previous podcasts that you find it frustrating when he almost has too much time to pick a pass and he'll make a wrong decision or caught in possession get caught in possession or be on a different wavelength to his teammates but because he's that sort of player that he is so technical when when he gets things right he gets them really right doesn't he the dink against Barnsley the finish against Barnsley the scissor kick against um, against Preston just now the screamer against Salford even earlier in the season so when it's bad it's bad but when he gets it right it's just a, a joy to watch isn't he that's what I wanted to say about the the, the scream against Salford because that's what it reminded me of because the ball I think he hit into the wall from his own free mm. kick or someone's free kick and then he just absolutely hammers it into the top corner and he's not thought about it and um, the best actually bit of the goal for me goes after the scissor kick and it's the Preston defender sort of withering out of the way of it <laughs> pathetically falling to the floor his soul, his soul leaving his body <laughs> yeah it's like you can almost see him leave the body in sort of a cartoon-esque moment as he like collapses to 
the floor and the ball goes into the net. It's a great, great moment. I think as well to to to, to defend Ravan Morrison from my own criticism previous well previously as well. I think he he isn't a deep line playmaker. He's number ten, and a lot of the season. And I think and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure Rooney said when he came back and started hitting some better form again, he had he had COVID earlier in the season. It really affected his fitness. And the games are coming quick, thick and fast. And I think Rooney thought the only way he could get him in the team was to play him alongside in a, in a deep play and play playmaker role. And it didn't really work because he did get caught out in possession and he was a bit a bit too slow on the ball. But if you've got, you know, Bielik and Burden, obviously we'll come on to Burden a bit, but yeah, in deep line roles and then Ravel on the 10 with Lawrence to the left of him. I think that, that really does work when you get that lineup together. It does seem to, they seem to pull out some good performances. And he's just so much more effective because he can play killer pass. He can beat a man he can get a shot off and we've seen in the last month that you know when he's in that 10 position and when he's fully fit he's, he's a force we reckon with in this division and and now apart from Easter weekend we're basically playing just every weekend now we haven't got midweek games apart from that good Friday Easter Monday run and I just really hope that if, if he can stay in the team at 10 and Bielik can stay in the team in, in defence for the field then it just gives us a, a bit more of a creative uh, spine in the team yeah and what a week it was for him I mean scored his first ever goal for Jamaica on Thursday Travelled four and a half thousand miles, got back at one a.m. on Friday, came off the bench and scored the winner for Derby. I mean, I can only assume that he was just so jet lagged that he just wasn't even feeling tired anymore. Yeah, and Rooney said he, I think Rooney was quite disappointed because I think Jamaica played him three, he had like three ninety minutes in two weeks, which like Ravan Morrison doesn't normally do for Derby, and like quite deliberately so I think because he hasn't, you know, this is the most he's ever played for one team in, in one season in his whole career. So I think Rooney was disappointed that I think Jamaica's games they were all like essentially pointless games in a sense they couldn't qualify for the World Cup so he was frustrated about that but you know what he left him on the bench he brought him on and he made a difference and, and, and everyone everyone wins and he's got a rest now until until Saturday Tom there's a, a, a limited but, um, but but quite a high quality list in terms of where does Ravel Morrison currently rank in your all time favourite Jamaicans who've played for Derby County yeah I'm thinking Daryl Powell and Dion Burton Simon Dawkins is that yeah. another one Michael um, Johnson Michael, Michael Johnson, yeah, so... Not not Paolo Wanchop, as someone said on Twitter. Not Paolo Wanchop. <laughs> Quite no. literally a different country. <laughs> yeah, the best <laughs> the best Costa Rican. Um, I, I love Daryl Powell. I think he was a fantastic player. Um, so I think he would be he would be my first Jamaican. Most, uh, most Premier League appearances ever for yeah. Derby County. Followed by Jakob Larson, I believe. Yeah. Um, the original football genius. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Daryl Powell probably has to top the list. Dion Burton frustrated me incredibly, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, when I was a young fan watching him. My main memory of Dion Burton was giving away free kicks in the opposition third, uh, which is always frustrating. Uh, obviously, Michael Johnson, a bit of a... Yeah, obviously a couple of great seasons at, at Derby County and obviously a promotion season and, and a captain for us. Giles, great ambassador for the but game. But Michael Johnson course. didn't score a mid-air Cruyff volley away at Fulham, did he? So, and that's, that's, what, that's what does let him down. And that's my main, that's my favourite memory of, of Craven Cottage was that Simon Dawkins goal. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one then. So um, I'll go Daryl Powell though still. So Daryl Powell, <laughs> then Ronald Morrison, then Ooh. Kevin Lisby in third. <laughs> I, I'd say Daryl Powell, then Michael Johnson. And then I think it's fair to say that Ravel is is competing with uh, Dion, Giles and, and Simon. Because Simon Dawkins had some great moments in the Derby shirt. It's on the, it's on the running order. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make that natural. <laughs> what I also loved was, um, I mean, as I said, the club have churned out some genuinely really good content, especially when we win. But I already see that really funny video of uh, Rooney and Rosinia and Justin Walker on the dugout as the ball's going in and Justin Walker's on the phone to someone who's he on the phone to so uh, I know you're going to jump in a second Tom but we did put it out on Twitter the question simply being what's being said in 
this uh, on the phone in that particular moment. Uh, Mark Richardson said on Twitter, he said, uh, is that the mayor of Derby? I've got a deal for some property you might be inter- interested in. Spanner on Twitter, great name. He just said, uh, bloody hell, Wayne, Everton have been on the phone again. What shall I tell them this time? Dom on Twitter, he said, don't get excited. We haven't scored from a corner since 2007. Kieran Parker said, uh, hey, is that God? I've got a prayer that needs answering. And uh, David Richards, he said uh, that Justin Walker is saying, sorry, it's Mike who? No, I don't have a number for Quantuma. <laughs> it could have all been so different as well, Kutch, really, because uh, Derby were playing 11 against 10 for a large part of that game. But um, if you're going to put your name down for someone likely to get sent off for Derby, you wouldn't really say Max Bird very often. But it wasn't, it wasn't a good challenge, was it? It wasn't, and we've had a lot of very similar. Like the Ravan Morrison was was similar. Stephen one was probably similar. Tom Lawrence's one was worse than all of those, I think. But yeah, it was. It wasn't malicious from Max Bird. He was kind of desperate. It was one of those you see it so often in the middle of the pitch where the ball just gets away from a player, and they think they kind of they kind of already made the decision before, and then it's too late to kind of pull out. And and look, the Preston players made the most of it for sure in terms of surrounding the referee. It was I thought it was massively over the top. But I, I the same thing happened at Forest with um with Ravan Morrison. I do think this Derby team is a little bit guilty of being naive at times and, and not doing similarly. We can all stand here and say we'd love to see the game played in the right spirit and all that stuff, but look, it's it's a part of the game. Maybe it's because we're a bit a bit of a, a young team. But you know, it was a it was a poor challenge. I've seen plenty of people try and make a case for the fact it wasn't a red, and I can sympathise with that opinion. However, in this league in in 2022, it is a red card, and and we've seen there's been some that we haven't seen given against us. But generally, I think nine times out of ten, the referee's going to put out the red there. You're shaking your head, Tom. Uh, no, it's a red card. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't win the ball, and he takes the guy out probably on his shin or just just above his ankle certainly and um, I messaged you guys saying has he won the ball because it looked like the ball deviated and he kicked the ball into the player from the angle that I was at and I'm a 50-60 yards away from it um, but watching on the replay it's a bad tackle it's a it's a definite red card you're going back to the um, Morrison and you're going back to the Stearman uh, sending offs they were more dubious and I think we could definitely question those but I, th- I still think you're going to concede red cards against them for certain referees and it's frustrating when you don't get the same our way from players who do the same thing and I thought Daniel Johnson could have been sent off he was booked then about two minutes later he went through on somebody and kicked, kicked him right up in the air um, there should have been a second yellow card but the Derby players didn't even react to it and the ref had a word to him they should have been surrounding him because the Preston players from from the first minute to be fair and Preston were a really poor team I thought on Saturday from the first minute they were time wasting slowing everything down lots of kicks off the ball um, Lindsay had done a couple of like cynical fouls I think it was Patrick Bauer in the second half as number five, who a couple of like really like off the ball uh, sort of barges over, and it, the, they weren't caught by the officials. And the fact it ended up 10-10, uh, 10 v ten on Saturday, I was surprised. It should have been should have been ten v nine, I thought. And it, and, and Preston were really cynical, and it doesn't surprise me they surrounded the ref like they did. But Max Bird's got he's got a free game ban. I don't think we're going to get anything from that one. Uh, if we do decide no, to appeal it, because at least we've got Bielik's come back in, haven't we? So we're not we're not too and short on B- numbers. Bielik was absolutely brilliant. I thought the, the the angles of his passes and the way that he him and Knight, I really liked in central midfield mm. because we've been putting Knight a little bit further forward or out on the right hand side. But him and Knight at the base of the midfield, it, it really ticked because what Knight they, he sort of sits and then Knight bursts through and Bielik finds him and then suddenly we've got space behind there and like Lawrence is interchanging and. The, uh, we had plans as a sort of focal point on Morrison up there, and then you had the the wide wider sort of players 
being, being dangerous. And I thought actually that worked really well. And I would quite like to see Knight and Bielik in centre midfield as the deep liars with maybe a Lawrence or a, or a, a Morrison in, be, in behind the centre forward as a number 10. I would switch uh, and Ebi Owe as well. Yeah, I would switch him onto the left wing, and I'll put Ebiselli on the right wing because Ebiselli is uh, anonymous on the left. He just doesn't know what he's doing. So yeah, I mean, in terms of your Jason Knight comments, I completely agree. That was what I was going to say when answering a question. You know, how much we're going to miss Max Bird? I think we're going to miss him a lot. I think particularly we'll miss him at home because we do have so much of the ball. Maybe the game at Fulham would be a bit different, but he is. I know he's got his critics, Max Bird, but I'm I'm a huge huge fan of him, and he does get us playing and ticking at home, and his passing is brilliant. I think we will miss him, but in Christian Bielik, we, we still have kind of one of those two at least in there and he'll be back and, and, and obviously well rested after his international duty. So I think I'd love to see him in, in central midfield with Jason Knight because I think you're right. Jason Knight brings something quite different. He can get us on the front foot. He can, he'll play as one twos, he'll burst forward, he'll carry the ball in a way that Max Bird doesn't. And then, yeah, I would I would have Ravel number 10, Tom Lawrence on the left. And then it's, for me, it's between uh, Abue or um, Abue and uh, Eversel. John, have another go. <laughs> <laughs> Abiyowe. Yeah, there you go. And then for me, it's between Abiyowe and uh, Fessi Abiselli to go right wing, uh, probably Abiyowe, and um, and then obviously Luke Plange up front. But for, yeah, Jason Knight, I think both home and away, because we've got to go and get wins. We've got to win games away from home. So for me, I'd play Jason Knight alongside Bielek. The first 60 minutes of the game on Saturday, the issue that we had is that everything was in front of Preston. And whilst we had a lot of the ball and uh, Abiyowe, like, created chances by beating men and he's got a really lovely step over and sort of great feet and trickery it was only really in the last half hour when we started to break between the lines and it was more challenging for Preston to think and it was too obvious basically in the first 60 minutes and Knight runs in behind into the into the spaces and into the pockets in between the defence and midfield for Preston that was the thing that was most challenging so I think if we can get Knight doing that rather than being further forward and therefore not making the run he's trying to make the run in behind the defence what he needs to do is make the run in behind the midfield and defence to create that that space, and then it opens up the whole different ball game because we've got we've got players who've got either pace or trickery um, in Lawrence, Ebioe, and Ebersele who can who can really cause some damage. And I don't, I think we will miss Max Bird, but I don't think we'll miss him that much. And we haven't even mentioned Liam Thompson in this conversation. So when I was driving over here, Liam Thompson was the first person I thought because he did have a good run in the team earlier in the season, and now he's been out of it, and that's fine because we've, as we've discussed in the podcast before young players have hot and cold moments and it's probably the right thing to take him out for a bit obviously he's definitely an option but he's more of a defensive option and, and considering that if it was earlier in the season and we're looking to pick up points uh, like draws away from home I'd say yeah fine play Liam Thompson there but as we need to go and get wins we need to probably win at least two games away from home or at least one and a couple of draws then uh, Jason Knight's the obvious uh, choice particularly when you've got other people who can play in those uh, kind of front four positions I've just been looking at the table. You mentioned Fulham there. Um, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I think Fulham could be promoted by the time we play them. They are 14 points clear of third at the moment with two games in hand, although some of the teams in the rest of the top six have got a couple of games in hand. But um, yeah, it's going to be Swansea and then Fulham over Easter, who, as I say, could be promoted, could need some points to get promoted. So maybe that all work against Derby but who knows but uh, a little bit more in a second but before we get to the second part we can reveal what our next monthly bonus Patreon episode is about in April so this week as I'm sure you'll all know having marked your calendars is 25 years since arguably Derby's finest ever Premier League win that famous 3-2 victory at Old Trafford 
when Paolo Onechop famously treated Manchester United's defence with absolute contempt on his debut in April 1997. And that is the subject of our April podcast. It's uh, Steve Bloomer's washing gold over on Patreon, Manchester United 2, Derby County 3, an episode exclusively for members of our Patreon service. And here is a little taster. Yeah, a complete mismatch on paper, right? And the fact that um, you know we didn't have Stimac and Asanovic, who were our kind of like um, you know best players at the time, most creative, solid at the back. I mean, you know Paul McGrath coming in to a and we switched the defence, right? Because normally we would play three centre backs that season, so we've gone to a flat back four just to kind of um, mix things up, but a, a solid back four nonetheless. And then yeah, these players that played that we didn't even know how to. Uh, how to pronounce their <laughs> pronounce their names? Um, you know, sort of. I don't think John Motson knew how to pronounce their <laughs> no, names. Exactly. You know, pa- Paolo Wanchape. We were calling him in the playground the day before. I'm not quite sure who in Derbyshire playgrounds was claiming to be a six foot four Costa Rican <laughs> player, but it was um, it was quite uh, quite incredible that those guys were making their their debuts. McGrath leads the charge out, and we've now played. And there it is, surely yes, Derby County win at Old Trafford and they turn the championship race upside down for now and Jim Smith doesn't care about that. He's got three points towards Premiership survival and I reckon one point from two home games coming up will see Derby safe. That's going to be their programme now. What a memorable performance by Derby County. Estonian goalkeeper on his debut. One shot who scored and had to go off. Look at those celebrations. But what has it done to Manchester United in the Championship? 2-0 down, back to 2-1. Then the mistake by Schmeichel. And they couldn't save it in the end. It's the second defeat only in 28 months here in the league for Manchester United. Derby County's second win only away in the Premiership this season. But what a gripping, thrilling match. And the final score here... Manchester United 2, Derby County 3. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. We're checking out just before we recorded some that uh, our glorious leader, Wayne Rooney, was on Monday Night Football tonight, but I don't think he really said anything that interesting, did he, that we saw? No, he spoke quite nicely about the fact that it's been a challenging year and the players should be very proud of themselves and they're putting everything... Managing Derby County is hard. Yeah. And <laughs> in other news, bear spotted in woods. Yeah. And I love the fact that lots of people who are Palace fans are really angry about it. The fact that it's Palace v Arsenal, but they're talking about Derby County and Wayne Rooney all the time. because so. we're massive. Yeah. And apparently, they apparently are talking about uh, Derby County with Wayne Rooney and then there's 20 minutes on Harry Kane as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, Does he play yeah. for Arsenal now? I mean, he's a great... We've, 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 we've raved about Wayne Rooney so many times this season and we probably will do a few more times and I hope many 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 more times during his managerial career at Derby County um, look I, no one as we said before no one would blame him at all if he walked away at the end of the season whether we had a new owners or not uh, I'm I'm devastated that he's knocked even if we do get new owners and it sounded like maybe there could be an announcement soon but we've heard that before um, even if we did get new owners now I still already think kind of the, the horse has bolted in terms of him planning properly for next season whatever division we're in you know if you're in League One it's all about free agents in that division everyone's on short term contracts there'll be free agents up for grabs and we've probably missed out on all the good ones already um, so Rain Rooney's 
I'd love him to be having a chance again as I said whether it's league one or championship I'd love to him to have a chance of a proper pre-season make some recruitment on his own terms of what he wants because um, I'd love to see what he could do with by giving the by giving a proper chance but let's see if it happens but yeah you can't speak high enough of him well exactly and yeah we should stress that we're recording the time as I speak is quarter past eight on Monday um, and there have been some rumblings about the preferred bidder being announced but as you said Gertrude we've had this we've heard it literally countless times before the supposed countdowns from people in the know and I think some of those people genuinely are in the know but they're also fed information which turns out to be duff for whatever reason so anyway it's out there maybe by the time you listen to this things will have changed significantly but in terms of the takeover that, that never was, we've had the hopes reignited when the Steve Gibson issue was apparently taken care of to then now seemingly being further than ever from naming a preferred bidder. And if reports are to be believed, um, we're, we're six months into administration now and, and we're not, we're even at the point where, where Rooney seems to have run out of things to say, basically. He just, he admitted last week that he's not even sure what the future holds for, for him and he doesn't even know if the club's going to be here next season. Um, I did have some words prepared for for a, a plea to our, our our nameless former owner about just a desperate plea for him to help move things forward. But I'll maybe save that for another day. But it seems that possibly, Kutch, the the latest line is that Derby City Council could be the ones to to, to shift the impasse maybe although the information we might get tonight might change by uh, by buying pride park themselves the plea was basically for, for mel morris to, to engage in that conversation to to be the derby fan that he claims to be that the club is completely on its knees the community is is days or weeks away from being affected with this catastrophically bad blow if it went under and the plea was going to be to to just do whatever it takes to to give us our ground back, give us our pride back. As I said, the latest line is the council are getting involved. Can you firstly explain in layman's terms what that would mean, Kutch? Because it seems to me that if Mel Morris won't budge on the price of Pride Park and bidders aren't prepared to up their offers, there's a shortfall between what Mel wants for the ground and what people are prepared to pay. So the council stepping in is a good thing right but on the other hand it would essentially come from the public purse from taxpayers money wouldn't it yeah and from taxpayers who have already been robbed of 27 million pounds from mel morris not paying paye at derby county for a couple of years which is for me that's the biggest scandal of all of it actually is is the club just decided to stop paying paye tax um and, and so we've already you know derby county or i should say mel morris has already kind of robbed the public purse of money from that regard in terms of what he wants in the stadium and again uh, please listeners correct me if i'm wrong in the way i understand this but for, it's about 22 million in terms of there's an msd loan which is kind of guaranteed by mel morris and used in pride park as some kind of collateral um for that loan so i think it's probably fair to say that it's not that the council would be giving 22 million pounds to Mel Morris, but they would be taking on the debt from MSD, who loaned the money to Mel Morris, you know, and using the as using the stadium as collateral. So it's not like Mel will have that money in his bank account, but it means that he would be released from that 22 million pound debt, which is essentially the same thing. Um, so, but when you've already you know taken that money from the taxpayer in terms of not paying PAYE, for me, it's pretty rich 
for us to expect taxpayers and we should also emphasize that us three sat here are not residents of derby city so it isn't actually our tax tax pounds which would be spent on this or backing this deal up and um i would be kind of loath to sit here and say yep yeah, let's get derby city council to step in because ultimately it's not my money it's the residents of derby city and many of those residents have no interest in football uh, many of those residents might not understand or, or agree that the football club has that greater value to the local community now i'm sure there's studies that have been done to show that the council and local businesses benefit hugely um i've seen i think the figure of 100 million pounds a year or something like that but the local economy benefits from having the foot having a, a decent sized football club in the city so i'm sure the council have kind of will, will be thinking about all of that but it does for me it lets mel morris off the hook if the council steps in if it's the only way to save the football club and kind of reunite the club with the stadium through kind of local ownership and a prospective bidder is comfortable with that and doesn't feel the need to actually own their own stadium outright then it kind of might be a necessary evil as i think you've said before um it's, but it, it's hard it's a hard pill to swallow because in my opinion Mel Morris should have no support whatsoever from the public purse considering he's already just decided to stop paying 27 million pound tax yeah it's horrendous to to sort of read as a taxpayer and it's horrendous to see that people who earn like ridiculous amounts of money and who are worth ridiculous amounts of money are trying to to take everything they possibly can when actually they're responsible for for running the club as a, a business and they failed to run that club as a business and they've they've not as you said Kutch um, from what we understand paid pay their taxes and therefore they're likely to, to benefit if this, this were to go through. Um, at the same time, I would think, well, if Derby County didn't exist anymore, we live in South London, how many times would we go to Derby? How many times would we go to the fish and chip shop and to the off-license and to the uh, pub Bur for lunch or something like that? Yeah. yeah, and how many times would we go there and like, how much money do we spend each time we go up there? Um, and the, the answer is we wouldn't go up there very often because there wouldn't be that reason to, to do that. And if we make that journey five or six times in a, a season as an average over the last sort of 10 years, and we spend £100, £150 together, then that might not seem like a lot of money, but there are lots of people like us who go and spend similar money, if not more money than that. And all those people who are Derby season ticket holders and Derby fans who come into the city to, to eat and to drink and to park and all that. Well, it's a lifeblood of the city on a yeah, weekend, isn't it? It's, it, it, it goes. So I think, it's, uh, I think it's so hard, isn't it? Because me as a person wants to go... Sod Mel Morris, this is ridiculous. Like, how can the taxpayer bail this out? But then me as a pragmatic person going, like, look, what's going to happen to Derby as a city? I, th I think the council recognise that it's probably worth doing. And that's really horrendous. And why couldn't that have been done for other clubs such as Bury, uh, for example? Well, we did put this one out to, uh, to you folks, the good folk of Twitter, uh, for your shouts. Uh, your your shouts. Doesn't really feel like that that comedy jingle really fits in with the the tone of this discussion. But anyway, the question was, how do you feel about Pride Park possibly being bought from Mel Morris with public funds by Derby City Council? Uh, Jimmy Gregory said, the stadium being in the hands of the city, I'm hugely in favour of, just the way it should be. But Morris getting out of this with money in his pocket is absolutely sickening. If it saves us from liquidation, though, I'll be relatively happy. Uh, Dom on Twitter he said that purchasing the stadium invert commas is one term for it I suppose another more accurate term would be incredibly having the gall to ask a city council to pay his MSD loan off a loan he secured against a club asset he took for nothing uh, Dan he said on Twitter desperate for the club to survive but this is a disgrace taxpayer pays tax dodger 
to sort his other debts. Um, what else we got here? Ian Redfern, he said, if it's the only way, needs must. However, the prospect of Morris walking away from £30 million of tax and £6 million of other creditors than taking £22 million of public money for an asset that should never have been removed from DCFC ownership in the first place is an act of shameless greed. Very well said. Uh, Scott Gretton, he said, I'm well beyond the morality of this now. Just get it done anyhow. Um, and just a couple more here. Darren Waitman, he said, Derby City Council have to do what's right for the city of Derby. And undoubtedly, having Derby County exist is massive for the city economically as well as promotionally. If it needs to be done, get it done. Uh, loads more in there. Sorry, I couldn't read them all out, but Kutch. Yeah, I think one of the things I've mentioned as well, one other possibility, I think our friend of the podcast, Jimmy McLaughlin, uh, mentioned it on Twitter, is there is obviously the one route, which is the council buying the stadium. And I'm, you know, and like you said, Tom, I'm all for, and I think um, Dan in one of one of the commenters on Twitter said it as well, like I'm all for public ownership or local ownership of the ground. I think actually like Chelsea pitch owners is actually quite a powerful group at Chelsea because they essentially own the land that the stadium's on as far as I understand it. And they actually have, they get to have a bit of a say in terms of what's going on right now. So I think there's some leverage to be held there. But one of the links that Jimmy linked to on, on Twitter was actually wasn't local council funding it was um, central government grants as part of the whole uh, conservative government leveling up agenda which uh, appears to have been going on for for longer than any of us can remember mm-hmm. uh, that 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 sounds encouraging but i think that's quite a long process to try and secure those funds from central government but there is a section in there which talks about local ownership of sports stadiums in the event that a club might be on the brink of um, getting closed down so it looks like in some ways that fund is there for this exact purpose but i imagine that's probably a, a six month application process to unlock those funds and I, I, and I would also say that is really leveling up money is the best use of that to basically reimburse a very very wealthy multi-millionaire from basically taking an asset off a off a, off a local group or club in the first place it seems like a bit a bit of just money transferring from as he said government to someone who hasn't paid their taxes Tom I'm just a bit confused with this whole Derby City Council thing does Derby City Council buying Pride Park mean that George Clooney is now out of the running. Uh, I think it might mean that he is out of the running, Chris. Ah, oh, you are. You're kidding I thought me. we got through the podcast this season without mentioning George Clooney. <laughs> it goes by the name of George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> what? Did you, well, I know it's quite a, a shift of tone, but what did you make? What did you make of? Um, well, I mean, it wasn't the story, but uh, what did you make of the <laughs> of that as a concept? I think it sums up exactly. I mean, exactly. It wasn't a story, and I think it sums up quite depressingly and off topic the state of media in this country and you know clickbait and it wasn't even we can't even blame that on derby telegraph i mean it was a derbyshire life magazine generally very good well sourced obviously huge interview that they secured for derbyshire life magazine and the sun took a couple of quotes took them out of complete context whatsoever and plastered it on the front page when it is completely concocted it is a disgrace of journalism chris you and i are both journalists you more so than me it is a disgrace Oh, it's awful. I, I, I completely agree. Yeah, just utterly bizarre that, uh, yeah, that they that they came up with that at all. I was just, oh, no, I was a bit disappointed, Tom. I thought some sort of Nespresso porter in the South Stand, something like that. That could be like a, you know, the marketing, that'll market itself, right? Yeah, it would be. But I mean, it's simple, <laughs> the simple thing, I'm going to come back to Kutch because I love the passion that he came up with, with that uh, little rant there about journalism and, me- and the media. I um, simply don't buy the sun. There you go. Ocean's Eleven. 
I don't know where to, I don't know where to go with this, so I think we might just end the podcast, shall we? We didn't prepare any puns. I'm like, sorry, I should have thought of someone. No, I did. I did drop that one on you. I think, um, but yeah, look, maybe uh, you know we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. But we're going to wrap it up there. I think I can uh, see Cutch pressing the buttons to uh, to see us out. There we go. Um, so yeah, we're back in a couple of weeks. I'm off to Swansea at the weekend. Maybe see some of you there. Do say hello if you do. Kutch, thanks for your time. Yes, thank you very much. And Tom, thanks for dinner. Thanks for your time. All the best. Thank you. <laughs>